0: Welcome to On the Spectrum, a podcast about the art of making art. We're your hosts, Flora Xia and...
1: Maxim Rabai.
0: Today on the show, we'll be having our second of a three-part podcast series on the human...
1: Potential, Potential for, for evil. evil. Yeah. <laughs> We're here with uh, Mr. Karl Hofbauer.
2: Uh,
0: Carl, just a little bit about yourself. What's your kind of background in film and, I guess, teaching it and whatnot? And,
2: Um, wow. I did um, three years of film studies and, well, theater. Film studies did a production in theater at University of Western, or what they call Western University now. And then I did a year at Concordia, where it was a year of production and some other film studies work. And then dropped out of film for a little bit. After that, did a biology degree, but then ended up um, ended up back in film when I became a high school, initially theater and photography teacher, but quickly converted the photography to film, and and from that um, took over a pretty great film program uh, at Brookswood um, with my own studio, and I ran that for I guess twelve years. So so I continued to. To uh, definitely, it was probably I'd say 60% production the way I worked the, the, the program and 40% stud film studies. So, we did definitely a bit of both. Well, you know, that I, I thought the film studies component was really important for the students to uh develop their own personal vision. So, that's it. Here we are.
1: Did your students uh, uh did you show them Apocalypse
2: Now as a way to teach multiple times? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we always did it after school because it's three hours long, so I didn't want to <laughs> cut it up. I refused to cut it up, so we had to do yeah. a screening that allowed them to, yeah, so they, but they were always keen.
0: Do you think the length almost takes away from the movie at some point because you're forced to sit there for so long, like the physical discomfort of that, or do you think it adds to it?
2: Well, jump right in. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, there, there are longer movies, longer films as well, so... That that gets into the question of whether the original two-hour version is better than the three hours, and which yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know I don't I don't think. I think they were okay with it. It's certainly compelling enough to watch for three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, because I don't know. Sometimes with longer films, I find like my physical endurance isn't like like I, I have I have back pain because you know I have the editor back, so it's like after kind of the to our point i'm kind of like okay everything hurts right now but
1: the way we watched uh, the movie was in a very okay. uh, in an environment filled with distractions so it was hard yeah to it wasn't the,
0: was the best place it was in mm-hmm. the school library so we were, we okay. were gonna watch but there it
1: were certain parts where it was kind of like entrancing especially a lot of scenes mm-hmm. right, where just ed- editing was like
2: yeah. well i would really recommend that. Because I know what I I I was really important to me in the studio, but I just in general that we watch films uninterrupted, and the Mm -hmm. studio had it's like like we had a basically a bubble with soundproof, no intercom, no nothing, so literally no one moved for two or three hours. So for you one day, you need to go watch Apocalypse Now in the theater. Hmm. So check out the Rio Theater schedule in Vancouver, and look when it shows again. And often they double bill it with Hearts of Darkness, so you get to do both with a break, but then you just can sit in the theater, big screen, It's like it'll be a different experience. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so uh,
1: from what I've talked, we've talked about like how you believe Heart of Darkness isn't a film, I mean, Apocalypse Now isn't a film about war, but I was wondering like, do you think Heart- uh, Apocalypse Now is as much about war as like, Heart of Darkness is about colonialism? Because for Heart of Darkness, the Main themes can be like put into any age, but it has the backdrop of colonialism. So it's a Heart of Darkness is mainly about like the potential for evil, and it's like per, because of the so yeah, I was just wondering like, is Apocalypse now about the same thing? Like, there's broader themes than war or like the setting.
2: Um, so did you say Hearts of Darkness,
0: Joseph Conrad?
2: Yeah, no, yeah. but but the the. You said it's it can be said to be about colonialism as a back, as sort of the backdrop. Yeah. Not the main theme, mm-hmm. um, which I know Apocalypse Now, the Redux version touches upon a little bit with the French plantation sequence. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was his attempt to bring more Hearts of Dark Heart of Darkness in, um, or when he shot it. Um. So what was your question? So I, 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 yeah, no, my my feelings of Apocalypse Now. I mean, I don't m- want to make black and white statements, but it's fun to do that sometimes. But only because people always say it's you know my favorite war movie, and I always say that's oh, not a war movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think war is the backdrop, yeah, um, for the main main themes of the of the film and probably the book about. It. And that's you know what are the main themes? There's so many. I, you know, I think yeah the, the the descent into evil, the the capacity of humans to do evil. Mm-hmm. Um, does that get to a little bit of your question? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think war is part of, uh, you know, the, how humans maybe go down that road of doing evil, or, um, or how we justify evil or justify doing mm-hmm. things to other human beings that, mm-hmm. that are you know, awful. Um, I've heard it said, and this is recently about you know how that that first first landing in the film is really. To a show of love of war, that, that you know, I'm not sure you can look at it as American political analysis, or you know, but yeah. it can be any any country that's marched off to war with <clears throat> with drums blazing. So that's that's a great way to look at that scene. It's just you know the music, the, the ride of the, the dog surfing, dogs, yeah. all of that that whole um, and his quote, which I love, is you know someday this war is gonna end. He never answers. He yeah, never just trails off. It's almost as
1: if he can't imagine the end because yeah. he likes what, it so much. What would he do you yeah. mm-hmm. do?
2: Yeah. yeah, or will America ever stop fighting wars? I mean, mm-hmm. Hopefully, that's not true. But
0: so, I don't know. You mentioned the significance of the film and how it's not necessarily a war movie. So. I guess, uh, you also mentioned surround sound in one of our earlier conversations. So can you like talk about that a bit and how Walter Murch and how he changed things from a I guess a historical perspective.
2: Right. So um, so again, I, it's been again it's been a while. So I know we're coming back right to this from <laughs> sort of, mm-hmm. uh, and I certainly don't want to be. And I'll just give you my my memories and my impressions. Um, and please don't take this as scientific fact, but. You know Walter Murch, uh, the whole the idea of seventy millimeter film. I think if you wanted to watch that film the way it was meant to be seen originally when it was released, it was on seventy millimeter. I don't know if you know that. Uh, so no, seventy millimeter no. film meaning it was this wide.
0: Oh wow!
2: Right, oh, so man. not thirty five millimeter film. It was yeah. double, and the what the reason that films back then some of them the big some big ones could be shot in seventy millimeter is because you could have six discrete soundtracks. Now is it six now? No, it's definitely. You know, left. I think they. I think it might have been six at the time. I would have been left, left, center, center, right, center, right, and then and then the surround information. Um, Thirty-five millimeter could not give you distinct, distinct um, channels when you screened it that. that was. It was very apparent
1: in the opening scene when the helicopter goes from like one side of the frame, yes. and you can hear the
2: audio going from one ear to the other. Mm-hmm. But that's just. The, but it, but if you watch it with the true surround sound. It would be interesting to kind of get into, and I'm sure some people have really crunched the, this, whether it's possible to watch it as, as purely as it was in the 70s in, in the theaters that were designed to show seven mm discrete Dolby sound. Um, I think in this day and age, and I suspect with the, the newest DVD he released, that if you have the right system, you can kind of get that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, in it, when I went to Concordia and I worked with this uh, NYU professor, who um, we were doing course in technology and film technology. I went to different theaters and compared Dolby Surround. Um, so I'd see the same film in a 35 mil Dolby surround system and I at the time there was still a 70 mil um, and compared sort of discrete, you know, what what could be done in the soundtrack. And again, Dolby 35 mil at the time was they they basically recorded with sort of a phrase differential if I remember correctly. So you'd get sort of a you would never get distinct it's hard to, for them to really mix for distinct sound, mm-hmm. distinct tracks. You get a lot of bleeding of sound. Um, and so you really don't get, you know, like, I mean, in theory, I can put someone's voice here and only hear there. And mm-hmm. then sometimes only there. And that's if you had in 70 mil. And that's you, the options they had. So Walter Merch pushed for it. But I believe, and if you look at, again, the history, I think Coppola also really wanted to be released that way because, they, because sound was really important to them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just like most of our movies you know we want big we want big explosions we actually have the sound of that film fits it speaks to the themes of the film it speaks to the journeys of the characters. Mm-hmm. So if you the one scene that I think if you, that, that shows that and there's the beginning for sure the beginning scene is amazing but when when um, uh, Martin Sheen's character Willard is in in the hotel room so that famous scene because' mm-hmm. for other real life reasons um, when he when he gets up the the sound literally is kind of all encompassing and then the, when he gets to the window and looks out the chopper the sound sort of becomes really a singular it, it, it kind of goes becomes a really singular sound in the center speaker um, so that to me is a great example of what uh, um, of how a good sound scene is mixed and again what's happening for Willard at the time is kind of he's he's really you know he's lost in his own in his own chaos and journey and reasons for being there and and so that's a great scene to think about Dolby and multiple tracks where you don't get that if you were to watch that on a computer with just regular stereo speakers you're not going to get this feeling of being surrounded by sound so I think the that's
0: immersive quality of the film corresponds to the
2: themes. And yeah, immersive, but also also where the sound goes and moves and how it comes from this, you know, maybe the center of your character to the the world or back or, or backwards when they 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 have that happening. Of course, the chopper sounds really cool when it does that. Yeah, but it also represents something else.
0: So, do you think we're losing something with like digital right now because it's so easy to achieve those things? Do you think people are kind of abusing it?
2: Oh, you know, and I haven't looked at it recently. I think the benefits of digital were that you could, you know, in theory, every theater now in the world, if in a very cheap way, should be, should be, um, should be able to. Um, maybe it's a good time to add the fact that this our own soundtrack right now is the, is the, a lot of young children running around the school. <laughs> um, but in theory, you know, theaters now could do in a very cheap way. What a seventy millimeter theater did in the '70s, which is offer discrete soundtrack. Mm-hmm. That that you know, so a film mixer, a film sound editor could actually do great things. But I don't. I yeah. I suspect most mainstream films. It's more about just crashes and more. more you know.
0: I remember. Sorry to interrupt. No, please. Um, I remember the end uh, scene of Hearts of Darkness. Coppola talks about how. Um, what he wants for film in the future and what he sees in film and so he's saying he was saying that once film is taken out of the hands of professionals and it can be some you know fat girl in Ohio and they can just she can be the next Mozart or the next you know Mm. prodigy or whatever and he he says that's when film will truly become art so do you think that's where we're moving to now that it's so accessible or do you think it's just kind of I don't know, it's kind of weighing that between like everything getting clogged up because anybody can do it, and it's like how everyone thinks they're a photographer. So do you think it was better back then? Do you think there was more quality control because it was the professionals? Or do you think there's more potential right now?
2: Wow, that's a big question. That's a great, that's the uh, famous quote from him at the end of that documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, Which, on a, on a side note, I think speaks to why I think the film is such an important film and perhaps why it's the the last film that will ever be made that way, which is truly made, <clears throat> you know, I want to try true guerrilla style if you call that, where, maybe that's, a, shouldn't, that's not the best word to use, but where the film crew were on their own journey, and, and we know from the stories that, you know, with Mark Sheen having his heart, nervous breakdown and heart attack, his being completely drunk in that scene, you know, that Coppola described, they were afraid that Coppola might, that Mark Sheen might punch them and hurt them, they cleared the room um, to, you know. Brando showing up with all his issues and, and Coppola having double mortgages, his house and the whole stress of them, and, and as they traveled up the river in their boat, there were two boats, and so there were two journeys. Uh, you know, the, the Philippine army disappears to fight a war. I mean, that would never happen today because lawyers are involved and they would never be in that kind of risk. You know, it's really felt the seventies in that particular film that it was special. I think watching the documentary you realize, I think it, it ups the ante, and I don't think films will ever be made that way again. I could be wrong. I think maybe bringing it back to your the idea of cheap, tech, you know, easy technology. Maybe um, maybe Coppola is right. Maybe a film like that can be made again, just differently, um, with less t- technological financial encumbrance, um, sort of you know weight. Um, so, but but does that? So Coppola's quote is, you know, I think after he's experienced the, probably the, one of the hardest film shoots and production times of any film in history, yeah. clearly you can see why he would say that. You know, this is ridiculous. Is this really what art's all about? Why you know, why can't we simplify and just take a camera and make a great piece of work? Great piece of film. And we've seen that. So I think in some ways, when you, I think of the Dogma 95, um, Lars von Trier movement in Denmark, where they had this, you know, um, and that's when digital cameras were small and cheap and... and um, and now they're even cheaper and smaller. In theory, on iPhones, really.
0: Yeah.
2: But he uh, he basically they uh, do you know about the Dogma 95 thing, no. where they basically signed a he to be to make a Dogma film and he, it was kind of tongue in cheek to the extent. But he said you know um, no lighting that's uh, not present in the scene, no uh, no music that's not present in the scene, um, zero camera like everything has to be handheld. So it's just. Um, mm-hmm. And so the celebrations of film that kind of came out of that, and it is, it's just beautifully acted, beautifully written, and technologically very simple, um, that anyone could have shot that film um, for, for very little money. So in some ways, that it, you know, you go to Moonlight, we talked about Moonlight and the Oscar film this year, that cost very little,
0: yeah.
2: although still costs, you know, still costs some money. But, um, maybe he's right. I know in music, I would say the opposite has happened that the digital technology and the ability of everyone to record music in their basements is really, has just really, I feel like, taken away. Maybe it's taken away the ability of someone to make a living on it, which has then taken away maybe the sort of dedication that comes from, from, you know, doing nothing but music for fifteen hours a day and becoming this sort of groundbreaking musician. I feel Mm -hmm. like music in the last ten years is… Just my opinion. Uh, so film, I'm not sure if it's gone that way or not. Whether because yeah,
0: it costs more to make a movie, so in a way, you, I guess to make anything big, you still kind of need to go down that road, almost. If you want to make a very large-scale production, it just depends on... Uh, you have, you had something? Do you
1: think uh, Coppola knew his film would get received, or did he even think he was making a great film as he was filming it? Because I saw an interview with him where he said... Um, uh, pretentiousness in films sometimes does kill films and but he didn't really he stopped caring during the filming process that he was using so much symbolism and he was just making the film that he wanted and made
0: yeah and do you I think remember, he knew it would
2: be well, well received yeah sorry. i
0: remember him saying that how he hated it and all of this
2: that comes up in the doc right is that what he i mean yeah, i think yeah. again that's part of his journey where he's you know what's intriguing to watch a doc, is to see self-doubt, is to see, you know, the questioning. He's, he's rewriting scripts the night before. He's, mm-hmm. you know, this is shit, uh, and what am I doing? and all that, You know, all the questioning that you don't usually hear from an artist, which I think was what, what makes, again, those two films together such an amazing, um, um, showcase of, I think, the artist's journey. Um, so I don't know. I. I have to go back and remind myself of what he thought. You know, I think he's, he must have, he had to have been compelled by something, that he knew something was gonna be great about this film, or else he would, ah, you can't put yourself through that. He had his family there with him. They were, you know, he was close to a nervous breakdown. I think theres it's amazing he went through all that and still finished the film. I mean, I think of um, uh, Werner Herzog was probably the only filmmaker I think who's crazier who probably experienced that kind of um, film? Exp- who probably went through similar f- experiences in you know *Aguirre, Wrath of God* and other films? He's just overall crazy. This Herzog and mm-hmm. and has always said, you know, I'm. And he himself has said, I'm. You know, I will. I will destroy Hollywood. <clears throat> I'm not sure. I'm curious to see what he thinks about Apocalypse now in the making of that film, but. Um, you know, I think he went through so much to make that film, and I think he, even after it was being edited, he was still questioning. Um, I don't think it did well initially, if I recall. I have to look at the sort of initial box office, I mean, because it cost so much in the end. You know, cost overrun, time, um, they had to build all these sets in, in the Philippines. And they, they proceeded to get destroyed afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um but, but then, you know, we have one of the greatest, I think, films of, in film history, when you, when you just, you know go through it so mm-hmm. I think he must have thought there was something something had to keep you know I haven't read any biographies lately but
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean uh, we were talking about Full Metal Jacket and it's very interesting because both those uh, movies were made by uh, two extremely talented directors and um, they were both set in Vietnam but I was just wondering like what is what are the key differences between those two films and why
0: to would you, you. classify yeah. Full Metal Jacket as a war film? Rep over That's
2: Apocalypse a good question, now? but not Apocalypse Now. Um,
0: or uh, I remember you spoke about how there was a defining scene in Apocalypse Now that, um, like, labeled it as not a war film. So, like the bridge scene, I think was.
2: Which one? Sorry. I
0: don't know the bridge scene. Right, the, the scene with a
2: third of the main stopping points. Right. So yeah, yeah, the Yeah. The, the, of Valkyries, there's the Playboy Bunnies, and there's the, the bridge. I can't remember what the bridge is called again. Um, Not trying. yeah, Yeah, so that, that scene, and I think it's a couple of times, and then just the descent from there on in is, yeah, when I think, um, the question that Martin Sheen is trying to find who's in charge, and it's sort of it's one of those trailing questions again, kind of like the, when someday's war is going to end. Um, you know, who's in charge here? I think you actually added something to that too. You remember that scene specifically. I think I got it slightly wrong when I said, you know, he asks. Oh, yeah, because uh, from the interpretations and you know, analysis I've seen of
1: the film, uh, apparently, like, the guy with the grenade launcher, when he says, yeah, uh, it's like he's actually the one in command, So, he, but he doesn't care anymore, so he's kind of given up. Oh, when he's, he's asked who's in charge? Yeah, when he's asked who's in charge. He says, yes. You were thinking that was uh, like the devil or something like another entity like the heart of darkness that was controlling him. And what I took from that scene is that he was in charge and that um, but he didn't care anymore. Like it okay. was a total loss of sanity.
2: Yeah, and maybe there's two moments because there's a moment where again, that uh, the sense that you get is that no one's in charge here anymore, that you've mm-hmm. really just left you've left sort of normal human you know, the rules of normal human engagement and, and morality and now it's just
1: What was very interesting us. actually was um when the all the soldiers were coming towards the boats, they had like civilian luggage, which was kinda weird to me. Like why would they have civilian l- luggage out in the middle of nowhere? Oh, yeah. In that scene? Yeah. Yeah. When they're trying to get out, yeah. When when they're trying to like run they're running towards the boat once they get they're to the swimming. bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because right. they wouldn't have civilian luggage. So it's very interesting.
2: So it's funny I have never thought about that. I would maybe just guess that even in times of war in these locations it had to be mm-hmm. civilians running something. Trade, mm-hmm. s- supplies.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm not sure. That's a good question. Something I hadn't think, thought about.
0: I thought, um, I don't know, it, it kind of symbolized how uh, Americans felt about like material wealth or whatnot because a lot of the film speaks to how um, empty American values are, and they don't really know what they're fighting for. So I thought, like the excess so was display, like the the Playboy bunny scene, and like the the soldiers, they still want the to keep their stuff. The motorcycles as well. The motorcycles, yeah. So I thought, I, I don't know. I, I I thought that that's how it corresponded, but maybe. I think also that's yeah. what
1: they that's their link to America. That's what is keeping them going. All these these material things are connecting them back to their country. So right. it's just. Can see how loose that connection is in reality.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, that makes sense. And I, 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 we left the full metal jacket piece. I think so. That that scene, I just think war becomes less and less as you travel. You know, I think it starts as a war film, right? It feels like a war film at the beginning, and then you slowly, especially if you watch three hours worth of that film, it just feels like, what is going on? There's no more war left. They're in the jungle looking for somebody who has no relationship to the war anymore, per se. <clears throat> and they find him in you know this sort of jungle, for lack of a better word, and, and kind of has become the quasi leader of this you know this group of people. Uh, and it really doesn't become a war, anymore, war, other than the fact that he was sent there to kill this person. Mm-hmm. But it's not what you think about when you think about the Vietnam War. You think of you know other things. So yeah, I think clearly the, the film has more to do with. That relationship and what has become, you know, maybe what war might, war being one of the things that <clears throat> can be a factor in pushing people um, to do evil things or to to lose their their moral compass or uh, to grow mad and not not necessarily be mad, you know, to kind of or control or, or be want to be in control of the madness, like, yeah. like getting high off that buzz. a Full Metal Jacket to me is a again, not to be black and white, but let's say if I were to call it, in my mind probably the best war movie ever made because I think it does speak it, it, it very much is about war the entire film is the training of soldiers and then it's the soldiers who are actually in war um, and I think for me, the, one of the great things about that film is the narrative uh, the narrative um, what's the word I'm looking for? Do you think it like, shares the themes of
1: dehumanization with the who's now? Like, Joker's trip into, like, the city and eventually just killing the, the one
2: enemy. Uh, but I, I think there's no main character. That's the difference. There's no real main character in, in, mm-hmm. in Full Metal Jacket. I think the film is just kind of a more... It's much more episodic, for one thing, which I think follows the war, the idea of war. It's illogical when you think of the film having 45 minutes of the most intense, very entertaining... And at times, horrifying beginning. Mm -hmm. The film ends with that, you know, an awful suicide of a soldier who's gone mad, or at least temporarily pushed there. And then we time lapse to who knows how long to uh, these boots are made for walking, a complete kind of, you know, um, odd juxtaposition that makes no sense, which again, must someone argue war makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And then now we follow Joker, who's not a soldier, he's a photographer, and he's just sort of the the vehicle and he's he's cynical, he's you don't really know what he feels, you know, he's again not really a character. That's a similarity. He's not a character we necessarily love. Uh,
0: like we the like Apoloquin him. or the photographer mm-hmm. in Apocalypse now. Yeah. Like the the
2: photographer in Apocalypse Now. No, so the yeah. journalist in Heart of Darkness, yeah. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so, uh and then and then, and then the film continues and meanders along to a second scene, which I think the film actually has Maybe in some ways you can argue Apocalypse Now is very, you know, to the 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 uh, the alter egos of Kurtz and, and and Willard, perhaps their 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 relationship psychologically and what they mean to each other and who in in the end sort of wins out. In In Full Metal Jack you have these two halves of a film that are linked stylistically more than anything else. You have the you know the blue, the blue of the bathroom when he kills himself. The music is very similar. The the. The soundtrack is similar, and then he repeats the same kind of motif with the, the girl, the girl soldier who, you know, and that's brilliant because, you know, the sniper who's wreaked havoc on this, this platoon is one teenage girl with a you know, sniper rifle sitting in a little socket. And it's, again, it's ridiculous in concept, <clears throat> um, and yet she's done all that, and then there she is. We watch her die for ten minutes, you know, I think this it's a beautiful beautiful scene, but it all speaks to war. I think it doesn't necessarily get into um, sort of a sp- the, uh, it, it speaks less to, I think, the descent into madness, the human fragility of human psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think in the end, the last half of Apocalypse Now, again, it's... There's practically no fighting. There's no fighting, there's no soldiers per se. There are a few guys on a boat traveling up a river looking for somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's... You know, the river representing kind of the journey and the, the reflection and the, the descent, the journey into something.
0: Yeah. Um, on Kurtz's death, so in Heart of Darkness Kurtz dies of an illness and he meets a violent end, so Willard like, chops him up with a machete in apocalypse now and I'm wondering do you think that's just because it's film we need to see more of a climatic element do you think that like added to it I, I'm not I don't really remember the original ending that was written for it I think it was very Hollywood and kind of happy and gung-ho and so Copa, uh, uh rewrote it but I'm, I'm just kind of wondering like how, how do you think the film would have done overall if he had a more Passive end or an ending closer to
2: the novel. He died of an illness. Yeah, it's a good question. Again, the novel. There, it's been a
1: while. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No. There's a scene where um it, the room does like he he was where uh, Willard narrates what the room smelled like. Kurtz's room like smelled death and
2: like illness. Mm-hmm. So maybe there was there is that theme of sickness. In Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do get that sense that he. But again, the sickness is 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 almost like Kurtz's. Finally, losing his own center, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because there are moments when he talks about the diamond. Right. I mean, I love that story. To me, uh, that when he talks about um, the, you know, the the story when the 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 people came and inoculated all these these uh, sort of locals, and and then the leader found out and he came back and he chopped the arms off of every single person who'd been inoculated by the sort of the west, the west and he was completely not horrified by that but he was actually almost I don't want to say turned on but just amazed and he said that that to him was just an act of of such purity he talked about the diamond like being shot by a diamond I think was his, were his words yeah um and that to me is you know he, he can at those moments in the film he articulates where he's at and why this is so attractive like you know he has this you know this, and I find it attractive I find it You know, to be able to, 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 you know, I, I, he does a really great job of, of of conveying what that attraction must be like, right? Right. Because there's Mm got to be an attraction to, to that absolute power to be able to do something that's, so, you know, what what he didn't like at the time was people who were like flip flopping. He didn't have a, didn't have the strength to do something that was so. And the, the, is there something? Is there anything stronger than that to be able to go back and chop the arms off of all these people in your in your local, you know, your village? Yeah. Um, but then I think maybe that the decay you're talking about is, is as as we move on past that. Where I think talks about how Kurt seems to be losing it. That he's not. He's not present anymore. He's. So maybe that's. Again, I haven't read Hearts of Darkness for it's been a while. Maybe that's trying to keep that idea still. But I certainly would. This is just my in going back to again the Doors and Jim Morrison and how that song has not after all these years it's it's not it's not it's not kitsch, it's not tacky. That song is such an interesting piece of the sixties into the seventies and and <clears throat> and there's a lot of psychology and I think the end and then to have that used differently in Apocalypse now and, and used so powerfully, I'd hate to I'd hate to I think it's perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. so you know I, I wonder if he I'd be curious I forget now because you know that the, there's the sacrifice of the animal and yeah. that's a real sacrifice Endices. yeah so and that, and that I think parallels quite well and I'm not sure did, did, did he shoot did, did you know the ability to actually be present when the locals were going to be sacrificing this this animal had he already shot Kurtz bludgeoning um sorry Willard bludgeoning Kurtz before that, or was it an afterthought, thinking, well, we have this other amazing thing. This would be, It would tie the film together so well to have them both happen. I
0: think it happen. was after, because um, uh, I remember watching Hearts of Darkness, uh, the, the making of, and uh, Eleanor, Cop- Coppola's wife, saw that they were getting ready for the sacrifice, and then she called Coppola out and then he got
1: over, the cameras rolling and they filmed that. There's a, well also there's like, I don't know, a, a very loose connection with the cow. Um, because in the beginning when um, Kilgore takes over the village, um, there's a cow that's lifted up yes. by a chopper, and then the cow the cows are like a recurring theme throughout the film, but I'm not sure. And also like the cow could
2: Represent the death of like spiritual values, it's like a spiritual animal. Mm-hmm. So, there, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, who knows whether that was so? I'd hate to see it different. I don't think, I'm not sure if they're purists of the novel who think, oh, yeah. You know. I don't think, again, if we can get to another side story, I don't, I don't think a filmmaker has any responsibility to a novel. I get yeah. quite frustrated when people say, oh, the book was better. Yeah, apples, oranges. Apples, oranges. Like you spent 15-20 hours reading a book. It's a, it's a, it's a, a story. Okay. It's in your head. You visualize it. It's a, pr- it's a pr- completely different experience. Mm-hmm. So I think great filmmakers don't feel the need to, you know, some of the best. Some films actually work better in my overall in my mind when, as films and okay. as than, than, the books might have worked, but only because the filmmakers did something different with it. Um, mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Are there purists who think Apocalypse Now is a bad representation of the, of the book? Well, he didn't call it Hearts of Darkness. He called it something different. Probably I, was, for yeah. reason. I was
1: surprised, actually, how close some scenes were to the yeah. original book. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, kind of the cut scenes, uh, specifically, there was the French scene and there was also the scene where they were... Um, where Playboy was, Bunny scene? It wasn't the Playboy Bunny scene. It When was they the meet second, up with them at the camp, right? Yeah, when they meet up with them at the camp, the the reigning one. Um, why do you think the they were cut in the original? Because I, I know that Coppola had his own reasoning. Like there was it was a mess. Like technically, like but why do you think they added it again? I guess would be a better question. Like. So
2: again, not knowing that I, I forget again the true history and whether he was you know. I mean, there's a long history of Hollywood and, and the producers who are backing the film financially who say, you know, it's too long. So again, remember, a three-hour film means it only plays four times a day instead of six times a day, or seven. Right. So it's a financial thing. That you can, yeah, In the first month, you make all your money back. So if you can run that film 33% more often in a day, you, in theory, can get more bums in the seats and pay more. So a yeah. ho- cl- long, long history of Hollywood making keeping films short or shorter. Like, the, it's rare, you know, you think of... Recently, Lord of the Rings. I mean, he released a four-hour version on DVD, but there's no way the studios would have allowed him to do that. And I'm not sure if it was the studios or he also thought realistically, I've got to make my money back, so three hours will do, and I'll have a, yeah. you know, a later longer cut later. Um, you know, but the four-hour version works better. It has more, more, in, more in it. I, don't, I, I would say the four-hour version of the Lord of the Rings films are probably better overall in their three-hour components. Apocalypse now is debatable. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think probably I enjoyed it, because I love the film so much that some of those scenes are interesting and nice to watch and but there are definitely the first time I watched the Redux, there were definitely moments where I I felt I felt um, I felt that the choices were not in, my initial reaction was was poor. Um, and specifically I'd say around the music. I didn't know at the time that he'd written. I think Kabbalah actually had did write some of the music for the Redux, mm-hmm. and some of those music transitions I think don't work at all. Um, you know, but again, what I what I end up saying that I think they're both strong films. So why did he cut those scenes? I would probably say my gut is some of this it's financial. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it was I don't know if you know Merch was involved. and They said that they don't work. Um, the French plantation scene is also awkward because uh, in my opinion it sort of becomes on um, this slight moment of romance in it right I yeah, mean, he has this, yeah. There's, there's a sex scene and all of a sudden he's you know there's the, the, I, I i do laugh i still laugh i remember the first two three times i saw it i, I giggled to myself when it's you know she's behind this sort of white curtain and it's mm-hmm. you know and those accents and i don't I, I do love the, the the debate in it. That's you know, I, I like that piece where they debate the the French versus yeah, the Americans.
1: Still it was kind of weird. Like can it, there was some it's kind of sporadic as well, like yeah. the whole dialogue. Like at one point the guy who's playing the accordion, well throughout the whole scene he's trying to play it and then he <laughs> falls down and like someone go get him. Yeah. Someone help him up and it's like it doesn't really it confuses oh. I don't know, I remember yeah. that mm. they didn't
0: get the actors that they wanted, and I think the art department cut their funding, or I'm not sure if they did or not, but uh, Coppola really hated the lighting for the film, and he just hated how it was shot in general, because mm. they didn't get what they wanted out of it. Um, but I remember it was just the, the rain scene, where I guess they were with the Playboy Bunny in the helicopter, the bird thing that was bizarre that was absolutely bizarre
2: remind me that when he's painting himself and he's he's he was painting himself
0: but there's a the, um there is uh was
1: the it was a uh, chef yeah chef. chef is talking to uh, one of the this bird bunnies, girl. and she's like i love birds i've always loved birds and she's talking about her whole life and like past with birds and then yeah and then it's just kind of
0: and then they start, yeah, you know, crazy. and then they start, uh, I guess, having sex or what, whatnot, and then she's like, kiss me like a bird, fuck me like a bird, and I was just kind of like, that is bizarre, that's just really weird, like, I, I yeah. like, Max and I just kind of paused the movie and just looked at each other, <laughs> it was kind of... But
2: that's also when he takes the photo and says he wants her to look more like the, you know the he photo, takes the yeah. center photo, so yeah, I, again, does it work, it, it definitely, it doesn't seem to work... As I think, there when you watch the original two-hour version, there seems to be fewer moments that don't work, if any. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's—I'm not sure whether I would have thought that when I saw it. In seven, if I saw it in '78, then there are when you watch the three-hour version. There are moments like that where, but yet, I love I love the idea when he's more in love with the poster than the actual woman. Now he's got this one, but he wants her to look more like the poster. Yeah. And So that, that sort of yeah. image of does it fit into the Willard Kurtz descendant of madness piece? Maybe not. I mean, I think the actual Playboy Bunny scene live maybe is enough, right? The yeah. chaos of that and how they, they have to be carted off and um, the playfulness of that scene becomes, again, chaotic and crazy. Um, maybe you don't need it. I do I do like moments of that Playboy scene, the pouring rain, the muddiness of it all, the kind of, you know, trying to get a bit of pleasure in this in this place of madness. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's, um, I think the Kurtz scenes are nice to have more have more Kurtz at the end yeah those I think seem to work and that's that's where I'm always torn where it's just again you're gonna I think you'll experience if you can watch it uninterrupted straight through so if you can sometime in the future watch them both maybe a week apart uninterrupted in a movie theater um then you'll be able to sit and go what was that you know then then the journey as a viewer because I think as a viewer you go on a bit of a journey as well Mm -hmm. um and that's what Cop was, you know, there's three journeys probably, there's the characters, there's the film crew, and there's us. Three hours, it's a nicer, longer journey. <laughs> yeah. So that in yeah. of itself is, to me, you know, I'm glad there is a three-hour version, which is better. I don't know, and why he cut them. He was, you know, will he ever admit that he, he, re- he released a redux, because it's, he just you know, you're a filmmaker, there's always a bit of arrogance and, you know, it's a bit you know, not arrogance, but just self self uh I'll call it masturbation, but like I you know, I get to re release this and relive this and now I have a three hour version and I get to work on it again and <clears throat> you know, twenty years later people realise how great and important a film it was. So maybe now it feels there's more self gratification. Um or did he really think? Does he really think? If we can sit him down right here and say, do you really think your 3-hour version is a better film than your first? I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, the 2-hour version was born out of all the tension of the creative process and the tension of, of Hollywood and the making the money back and the 70 millimeter print. I mean, the 3-hour version is going to be a lot more expensive. Mm-hmm. So, impossible to answer that. Agree? I guess you'll have to watch both, and then it's up to personal preference. Yeah they're both worth watching, no question. Mm-hmm. but I haven't watched the two-hour version in a long time, to be honest. I don't know why I always made the students watch the three-hour version. Mm-hmm. There's never time to watch both. I just thought if they were keen on watching something, it'd be good to make them watch three hours, because then they see everything. They can always go back and watch less, but they may never go up and watch more, so that was my feeling. Yeah.
0: That's
2: good. I have to go back and watch the two-hour version again to truly, uh, truly uh, experience it. <clears throat>
1: do you think a film like Apocalypse Now like a film as good as Apocalypse Now will be made in the future or why do you think it is the la- last great film
2: of well I kind. should say the last of its kind, yeah. Yeah. It's of its kind. partly I think it, and I, I might be proven wrong I think maybe because of the simplicity of technology now people can take a camera into really crazy places and record great sound and great visual um, but I think then that's still going to be different than Apocalypse Now, which wasn't didn't have they didn't have those options. So they had to bring expensive film equipment, shooting on film, right? They had to shoot where they didn't see their dailies for who knows how long when they're in the shooting in the Philippines, and um, so that has its own stresses and and the costs and the keeping the film clean. I just think all of that is wild and crazy, and then it's getting the gear there and. Uh, you know, maybe now with 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 special effects as well. like That film, you know, mm-hmm. nothing special in terms of special effects. They that a lot of what you're seeing is what you're seeing, Practical, right? Practical, yeah. It's 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 the the beach blow explosions or beach explosions. Um, you know, he set that thing on fire. the The cow is actually sacrificed. It's, you know, they're they're there. Um, so I think, you know, there have been films I'm sure, and I, I I'm not the film. You uh, know, I went to school people. who I felt saw every single film ever made in the history of film, so they would be able to speak more than I. But um, I think that's, and plus because the the documentary was made at the same was made, I think those those two together really um, are great. Will be well, I think we'll will 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 be remembered as an important film, an important film experience that, that what these characters actors went through um, mirrors so stunningly what the, the film is actually about. So it's so a film within a film so to speak. You know, and I probably every filmmaker would say making a film is a little bit like a journey and, and, and definitely a, you know, an experience of self-reflection and all those things. That film just is on steroids yeah, when it comes to that. Yeah, you've ex- probably experienced that too. Yeah, when we were filming Chaucer, that was something interesting. Kind <laughs> of yeah. um, So that's common to all art, probably. Yeah. But I think the intensity of all of that and and, you know, the the big names at the time that the seventies were a unique time as well. And I think of the the period of what I look at the new Hollywood period from like the sixty you know, from Bonnie and Clyde to sometime in the mid seventies, uh, where blockbusters kinda of took over again and, and really good boutique artsy films Hollywood was producing those films. Some might argue maybe Coppola put an end to that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because he was trying to make a, a, an incredibly significant art, artsy film, an art cinema film that cost too much and Hollywood, you know, the producers just wouldn't have any of it because it wasn't going to make its money back. Mm-hmm. Maybe he put an end to that period. Who knows? But, um, so it also sits in, in that context of the new Hollywood. It's an important film, too. Um, will we have another new Hollywood? I'm not sure, but it's there's important. A oh, I'm there's a
0: turn into, like, uh, analog technology I know that there's a lot of filmmakers that are shooting on film again and uh, using practical effects do you think that I, I guess it's different now do you think it, they're doing it just because it feels better or it, it is it more of a label thing more more than a visual achievement because arguably you could do the same thing with less money and special effects but is there some sort of integrity to doing, doing things, in the old way now? I think there's
2: a learning experience. So I had one of my, my my film students who's now kind of an adopted son who's, um, you know, he's doing his masters in philosophy in New York, but uh, you know has had a couple of short films in TIFF and VIFF already. Um, he, in high school, when he was my student at 16, so younger than you, even in grade 11, he shot 16 mil. He was just, I'm gonna shoot and film. Like, I gave him my Super 8 camera before that. He shot Super 8, but now I want to, you know, so he had, he had to get some money for it. We had to, So we had connections and we did. We shot, and mm-hmm. we actually in Fort Langley on, on 16 mil. Um, I think it really helped him because it helped them be concise. It helped them really be prepared. He's incredibly prepared when he goes on set now with shots because everything costs money digital you can be lazy and, yeah. and shoot hours and hours of footage whereas in film if this is going to cost you thousands of dollars per shot
1: yeah. or no,
2: i'm exaggerating but then you're going to be very very prepared talking,
1: talking about different. budget uh me and floor were talking earlier about um how Coppola didn't have any budgetary restriction when he was filming and we were thinking what if the film would have the would the film have come out better or would, would finished have finished earlier or, or would have been a smoother shooting process if he did have those restrictions
0: yeah, because... Is that true, though? Because he spent money out of his personal yes. funds, and he was willing to go bankrupt for it. So he... So are, are he was he...
2: restricted. I mean, he's double mortgaging his house. So there's always that feeling of this film makes right. more money. If I don't even make a film... There were moments where he thought, I may not even up with a film. Mm. Which So imagine at any point in that six months or longer, a year, how many you, you know? Usually production of a film is a month. Yeah, they lived there, and they had to. You know, the monsoon season came. Uh, Martin Sheen had a heart attack. Marlon Brown didn't want to be filmed on camera. All these things delayed. Um, you know, at any all those points, he he had to be thinking about his family in the house, and and you know, if mm-hmm. this film flops, if Hollywood if, if Hollywood doesn't even release it, I'm done. Yeah, um, I mean, he still has the Godfather to make him a bit of money. I mean, he's not you know he's yeah. not poor on the street, but so I don't know if his budget was unlimited. I mean, I think they gave him a lot of money because of his Godfather success.
0: Yeah, they did. <clears throat>
2: But that, that quickly, I think it, you get in the doc too, that they were becoming less and less patient with him. They,
0: they were they were starting to cut funding and becoming less patient with him, but then he was then he was funding it himself, and yeah. he didn't really care at that point. But I, I don't know. He went mad. Yeah, <laughs> so, but I guess what we're asking is, or kind of, not really asking, because no one has the answers to this, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know, just talking about, I guess, is like, if you had more restrictions, I guess since they had so much access to money and equipment and resources, do you think within a smaller bubble, if they knew that certain things would work or wouldn't, do you think they would have tried less things? Do you think the film would have been finished earlier? I'm not sure.
2: Maybe, that's a good question. Um, you know, when I think of them, just two boats, you know, yes, there were some big, expensive scenes. Which the war scenes, right? The landing of yeah. the beach was the big one, and the bridge, another big one. But once, once they were on the the river, I just feel like that's not by Hollywood standards. Not not that expensive. They're not, you know, they weren't living in five star hotels like the way they might be mm-hmm. in Vancouver when they're shooting X Men for a month. They're traveling up in a boat. You know, they're following them up, and mm-hmm. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe maybe they did have, you know, Trump Towers built along the way, and, <laughs> and uh, but I don't get that sense. So I think. I don't know. I got a sense that they were still being kind of roughing it a little bit. It just feels like they're roughing it a little bit. Maybe that's the illusion that the doc promotes, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, so, what the film had finished sooner? would Be terrible if it did, because we don't have this. We wouldn't have this conversation. Yeah. There wouldn't be as much to talk about, and we wouldn't have all the all the, the incredible story that came out of the making of the film. So, um, but going back to your question about analog versus, I, I don't you know. Even when in music, I, I get I, it's really nice. I, I like, you know, vinyl. I like the idea of analog. Um, shooting on film is, I think, lots of positives to it. But I don't I don't see it making, you know, I don't see it ever other than making a huge enough comeback that it would take a big chunk of production. I think we're going to stay, we're staying in digital for a while. I mean, from, yeah. it's just... So, you know, from, from this, how every film that has so many layers of special effects, even a basic film and all that's so much easier now. And, and some would argue that the, 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 the resolution has become so much closer to film. I, I mean, the debate was always, you know, film can never, repl- can never, <clears throat> um, uh, digital can't, can't touch um, analog or a uh, real film. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. Because there's
0: a lot of filters um, right now as well. I know there's a lot of generated, um, like packages and whatnot um, in Premiere itself. Like you could you can just stick a super eight filter over it and it generates to make, a make it grain look super eight, right? to make it look like that, you could tweak the colors. you don't really know nowadays. it
2: is right. Yeah, whether you're getting the true authentic. Mm-hmm. I, I do think there's some. Um, there's something to be said when I hear a film was shot, you know, I always do watch credits, I'm like curious, oh, that was actually shot in film, which is really rare. Mm. I think, I like that, I, li- I like that they, they still do, I think it's important, I'd hate to lose it, but I don't see, yeah. I don't see it, I mean, the benefits of digital is that, yes, it can be anybody, yeah. it can be, as Coppola said, some girl from Ohio with a little digital handy cam yeah. that costs $500, and she can shoot the next, you know, be the next Mozart, um, so, you know, because that can't not the case in film. I mean, it's, yeah. it increases. That's the, that's the problem with film. One of the best art forms in the world, but also the one most complex and the probably the most limiting financially. Yeah. So you know, wealthy people do better in film. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, people who have yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's. I think a writer can come from nothing and, and write the great novel, but a filmmaker has to work that much harder if they've got nothing behind them to to sort of bankroll their, their films and their 10 years of having maybe no job. It's, it's tougher. My students have been the most successful in film have who've gone on to be film, the creative behind film, like directors, writers, that kind of and really made films um, versus going into the production side and getting a job right away because mm-hmm. that pays be great once you get a job. But if you're trying to be the next great director, the next great auteur, mm-hmm. um, it's really tough going that route without some financial... Support behind you to support you in those early years of schooling and life experience and flopping and making some films that are not going to make you any money. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think that's a different yeah. part than a visual artist, a musician, and a writer. Throwing it out there, dancer.
0: Yeah, because it, it almost costs less to create. Well, it definitely costs yeah. less to create. Like, wa- watercolor is dirt cheap for, in, in comparison to.
2: So. Mm, making a film.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, a good question. Analog versus, I mean, that's the really great thing about Apocalypse now. The 70mm. That, that's another history part of that. that's interesting, right? Did you seem to not know it was shot on 70mm? No, you know we that? didn't. Or, or released on 70mm? I'm not sure. That'd be, I think it was shot on 35 and blown up to 70mm, partly for the, because the, 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 you also had a bigger, like, you had, you know, much bigger screen, but you also had the, the sound piece that was the other push for doing 70 mil Mm -hmm. but not a lot of people saw it in 70 mil only certain select theaters and like one per city might have had 70 mil there side side piece Uh,
0: that kind of makes me uh, i'm just going to go off on another tangent this is a very long closing yes (laughs) discussion Um, uh, so how do you feel about vr because i've i've heard about some 360 movies and and that Smart sounds, it's, it's, so we, we've kind of talked about the history of, of film and, and analog versus, versus digital. So, how do you think that's going to carry further on? Because there's, they've got these crazy things going on right now. And how do you think, how, film has kind of arguably stayed the same for a very long time. It's been a rectangle in front of us, yep. right? So, how do you feel about the immersive kind of, you can turn around quality of a scene? I don't know how do you like how do you think that would be edited just just try to try to picture that
2: i'm not sure how it would be edited i I wonder if it becomes more of a of a if it becomes more again about self gratification again the masturbation comment from earlier where you know vr is more about gaining pleasure versus gaining I wonder if it's going to be a distraction, like in 3D. 3D in, in most cases is distraction. Like it, it's it's one of those things that big films use to make the whole roller coaster ride of it feel better. But does it actually make you yeah, is it uh, experience the, the theme of the film? Does it actually make you feel the kind of the the, the what's really underlying all of that? The, the you know the from, from what great art can do. I don't think it. From, from what yeah. I've seen from VR, it's kind of still gimmicky at this point. It's yeah.
1: not It doesn't add much to anything. Yeah, so it's still it's it's Sorry, still geared so it's towards yeah.
0: uh, video games. Sorry? Uh, yes. VR. But yeah. it
1: even makes video games gimmicky. Yeah. It's it's not at the point where you can have real, true experiences. And actually, video games are very interesting in the way that they're almost... I mean, if we're, your idea of film is that it's a culmination of all the arts. Yeah. But also, if you think about it with that logic, are video games even more? Because it forms itself to... Person who is experiencing it, like in certain it's games, more the story is forms it's itself around film. you instead of yeah. like Again, it directing you through it. So, so millennials,
2: <laughs> now we'll see yeah. what happens. I don't know. That's a good it's question. Kind of,
0: it's kind of exciting because it's like we've been geared towards making things more immersive and more high quality and like more. It's always more pixels, more sound, right? right? And and then. More real. Uh, more real, more and real, then, and then and then you life. get the forty eight <laughs> fps films and the sixty fps films, and you watch you watch it in theaters and you feel sick afterwards. So it's like, dude, I don't know. I, I kind of see it as like, we keep moving in the direction of creating something more immersive, but like perhaps we need that distance so it's mm-hmm. in order to actually enjoy it. So I don't
2: know. Well, and that would be an and, argument going back to Bertolt Brecht. I think I always go back to you know the fourth wall and how in theater he used. It's not just about entertainment; it's about Using the hammer to, you know, smash smash conventions or, or or push you know political thought and so fourth wall for him was forcing people to stop and think. <clears throat> so if you're so so immersed in the experience, you're, you're not. It's the roller coaster ride. You, you, no one stops yeah. and thinks about how the roller coaster is built during a roller coaster ride. There's no. there's no time for self reflection and thought. Maybe that can be built into VR, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that the fourth. Yeah, I think that's. I, I'm not convinced, but wait, see, so yeah, I, I think film in its simplest form will, will always have a place, just like visual arts and music and writing.
1: It's like nothing will beat a hardcover book, at least for me. Yeah, yeah. I can't
2: read off of a screen. I can't so. either. No, I can't. I have not read a book on off a surface screen in my life. No, book is crucial. Yeah. There we go.
0: All right, well, thanks a lot for... Thank you. Spending this time with us.
2: My pleasure. Crazy.
0: So, I don't know. I really found what Mr. Hoffbauer, mm, Carl, what Carl had to say to be very interesting, especially on the, how they shot the film, what he said about medium format and how that revolutionized cinema itself. I found that really cool because I wouldn't have known that otherwise. It's like, there's a lot of, things that we take for granted right now, and it's, I don't know, so much of film history, like, you watch a movie, and it's like, oh, it wasn't that great, but it was really, really great for its time, because that's what, that was, you know, the best of, the best at that current point in time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I hadn't watched um, Hearts of Darkness, the filmmaker's apocalypse, when we had that interview, and now I have watched it and mm-hmm. I, a lot of this stuff makes a lot of sense to me a lot more sense to me about just the struggle Coppola had to go through mm-hmm. I think yeah it did actually like I, like he was saying it did add to the movie or the, I guess the film watching experience for Apocalypse Now mm-hmm. having known how much it had taken and also I think we didn't cover this too too much but I really liked how he made his actors act mhm it was, like, a totally new method. I've never heard of it. Like, just telling them what he wanted from a scene personally
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then letting them just spew out, yeah, like, whatever. Like, there, Marlon Brando and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's kind of strange that the film ended up being so cohesive.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of different directing styles. Like, some people, um, I think Lucas, he likes to plan things down to the T. There's... Uh, there's a lot of uh, Kubrick for one he can just you can film the entire movie from his notes without him there and it would be exactly the same because he's planned it out all already so you've got you know stylistically really different people and I don't know it it all film is kind of no matter how controlling you are of the product you want as a director or whatever it's like it's still a collaborative thing. There's still so much chance that's involved and you can never really um, kind of make what was in your head, you know? The day before yesterday. No, it was... No, it was yesterday. Wow. So many things happened. Um, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was in chapters yesterday and I was reading this kind of um, selected prose from Franz Kafka and he was talking about how once he writes things down, the ideas die. Because, which is like really angsty and modernist, but it's like, one, as an artist, you take something out of your head and the minute it's out of your yeah, head... Yeah, like the and you, vision
1: and then you have yeah. the execution. And yeah, and it's
0: different. all it always feels somewhat... Real life always distorts what you had in your head. And I almost find um, artists who like to improvise or to... let who like to have things collaborate to be much more forgiving towards um, the, process. the process and the product and things. But I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm an animator, so I'm very control freak about things, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, interesting conversation.
0: Alrighty, so.
1: So, thank you for listening. I mean, sorry about the... Sc- ambient school noise but i i kind of like it though like we should find interesting ambience for our next interviews like i don't know like yeah doing it in like a kind of quiet but like mm. cafe environment or like in a park with birds and like rustling of trees as long as it's not too invasive it it would be yeah. a cool sort of setting and also like i kind of like the idea of interviewing people and not this like super like stale environment yeah but this, like
0: I almost want to go for a drive and interview people because I feel like it would be interesting. But it's then a, I also said it's like
1: your taxi driver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: We don't talk about the taxi. Dude, driver. Just put a clip
1: of it right here. Just put a tiny clip of it. Or are you silent? What? <laughs> okay. Okay. Just do it. Ha- it it'll be hilarious. Okay. Right
0: now. The way we are moving, it's it's going moving towards the shit, and that's how it has to be destined to. To rest- everything restarts again over the mm-hmm. centuries, over the years. See, Canada is just three hundred years old, but a country like China, India, yeah. you know how much history they have? Yeah, ten like thousand years. Ten yeah. thousand years. Definitely, yeah, dude. So think about Canada after ten thousand years, or maybe thousand years. I think yeah. we're gonna be very different. Yeah, but yeah of course, alive. you will be very old by then. I so. That was I hope you
1: enjoyed we're scrounging up together what we can on this episode
0: alright so next time on On the Spectrum <laughs> <laughs> to what, do you want me to do that again?
1: no go ahead next? no don't say it again <laughs> just go ahead compose yourself
0: I am composed alright so um, next time on
1: Does it make more sense saying next time on On the Spectrum or saying next time On the Spectrum? (laughs)
0: That's what I was laughing at. (laughs) Uh,
1: Professionalism. Um, Next time on On the Spectrum. We'll be
0: talking about T.S. Eliot and more on the impotence of, oh, skirt, skirt. Yeah, car born. just drove by. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm more on the impotence of modern man and the human potential for evil.
1: The flaccidity and... of modern life. <laughs> Alright, let's stop this
2: before we.